Hi, I'm Terrell Turner, the host of the Business Talk Library, and today we have a great guest on. Now, when you think about criminal law, most people probably have this television image in their mind of what that process is like. But one of the things that I always like to do is really talk about, you know, the business side of running a law firm. And in this case, we're going to be talking to a amazing business owner, and he also has a podcast the business of criminal law. So you definitely don't want to miss. So stay tuned. So without further ado, let me bring on my guest, Josh. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me on, Tara. I'm, I'm doing great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, hey, it's a pleasure to have a fellow podcaster and business owner on. Um, so as always, so we'll definitely talk about your podcast because I want people to hear about it. But before we jump into that, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your background and how did you even get into law? Um, I, I have the worst reason for going to law school that I can think of. Um, I basically went to law school because there's no law. There's no math on the LSAT. Um, and, uh, so I had a history, did a history undergrad and I was planning to be a history professor. And it turns out that that's more of like a hobby than an actual career. And so, um, uh, you know, so I had to go to the graduate school, the GRE and the GMAT had math on it and I didn't want to do that. So I took the LSAT and went to law school. There's no lawyers in my family. I didn't really know what I was getting into. And, um, you know, so it kind of took me, I, I did different things and I just kind of hated them all until I started doing criminal law and criminal defense. And it's been fantastic ever since. So I kind of, by process of elimination, found something that I really enjoy. Nice, nice. No, I'm curious, how much did the history kind of background help you in law school or did it help you at all in law school? I think it helped a little because um, history majors read a ton and law school is a ton of reading um, and we write a bit and law school is a lot of writing too. So I think it was a good background. I think it worked out, um, but uh yeah, law school was way harder than my history undergrad. I'll say that. <laughs> gotcha. Understandable. Now, one of the things that I'm curious about is as you started to, you know, you went into law school. Now, was your program, I guess, did they give you a lot of exposure into like what type of law you wanted to go into or did they kind of prepare you for, hey, here's what it's like to be a lawyer. Now, afterwards, you're going to have to pick what angle of law you want to go into. Yeah, I think law school does a good job of preparing people to be like Supreme Court clerks. Um, that's kind of where it's kind of pushing everybody. And, and only a very small percentage of lawyers do that, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was a little bit frustrating for me that it wasn't super practical. Um, BYU's law school is like intentionally focused more on sort of like doctrinal law than it is on like practical contract drafting and uh, courtroom appearances and things like that. Although there is some, so I did like our trial advocacy. I did a little bit of that and I um, took some uh, sort of practical classes, but the emphasis is definitely on that sort of like clerkship track. So you've got to kind of, if you're not going to do that, which I pretty quickly realized I wasn't, and you've got to kind of find your own way through that. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And how was that journey for you kind of navigating your way to like, hey, I don't want to do what the, what I guess you say the curriculum seems to be pointing towards. <laughs> don't want to do that. So how did you find kind of navigating your own path to more of what you wanted to do? Again, process of elimination. Like I hated 
um, the work that I did. So I did internships during law school, which is really encouraged. And they, and I think that's one really good thing that BYU Law School does is pushing you into um, to some work experience. But I just really didn't enjoy it. And um, and then I took my first job out of law school was doing real estate litigation in Park City, and I hated that. Um, and so then I just said, well, I'm going to try the most different thing from this that I can think of. And that was, uh, I, I applied to be a prosecutor for Salt Lake City. So I was like a municipal prosecutor doing everything from like speeding tickets and DUIs to domestic violence, but all pretty minor stuff. And, um, and I really enjoyed it. Like I started on a Monday and I really wasn't even doing any legal work until Thursday. And on Friday, they had me do a first chair jury trial for a DUI. And that was like a revelation. I mean, I... I was doing it. I could tell I was doing it very badly. Like I was not a natural at it. Like I was very bad and I was making huge mistakes that I could see while I was doing it. I was screwing this up, but I was uh, very like, it gave me tons of energy. I was just like into it. I really liked it. I won my trial, which I had no business winning, but I don't know. I don't know. I won. Prosecutors have it pretty easy. Uh, so I did that for a year and I met another prosecutor. Uh, we, we worked closely together. His name's Yosef Sharifi. And so we left, uh, prosecution in 2009 and started our own little criminal defense practice. And I've been doing that ever since. Nice. Nice. Now I'm very curious, like it, because you see criminal court on TV and I'm curious from the perspective of someone who's actually doing it, how much of the TV image and reality is like actually aligned? <laughs> Um, you know, not, not too much. I, I, uh, I liked law and order before I went to law school, but I haven't really watched it <laughs> since law school. Cause it felt like too much like work. Um, uh, my wife got into this show for a little bit called the good wife. Um, and, um, something, so she's like this corporate lawyer in Chicago, but for some reason, all of her cases are criminal defense cases and all of her clients are innocent. And, um, we were watching it and her clients tell her the craziest, dumbest stories. And she always believes them and they always turn out to be true. And I felt really guilty watching the show because I was like, if my client said that, I would not believe them. Uh, so then I did some experiments where I tried to really believe my clients and I kind of got burned like multiple times. And so I kind of went back to my former cynicism and common sense. <laughs> you know, it's very interesting when you, like I said, when you see different, um, you say professions portrayed on television and stuff like that. And you see them, it's just like, man, they take the most extreme of like hundreds of different situations and then they put it in one, you know, one scene or one scenario and people are like, oh man, that's what it's like. Well, that's probably like a million different things all squeezed into one just to get the most dramatic effect. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so I'm sure it's good. It's, it's tough for me because I do that all day. You know, um, I bet if I was like a real estate lawyer, I'd still watch like criminal law uh, shows. But because I do criminal law, most shows are kind of around criminal law. It's just like my dad actually has learned a lot about criminal law from watching Law and Order. He loves Law and Order. And so I'll be telling him a story about one of my cases. And I'll be like, and then I objected because and he's like, because it was fruit of the poisonous tree. And I'm like, that's exactly right. You're right. So it's not all unrealistic and all bad. Like it actually has um, some truth value. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Um, so now when you you really went through law school, one of the things that I hear a lot of people talk about is how, you know, a lot of times the law school in the early stages, they prepare you to practice law. But at what point did you kind of start to really start thinking about the business side of, you know, running a law practice? 
Well, my dad um, was an entrepreneur when I was growing up. He had a little, re like a real estate company in Southern California. And I kind of, I mean, I didn't know what I was looking at, but I kind of watched that. And my grandfather had started a company called Shield Pharmaceutical. And so um, I had seen kind of companies start. And so that was always kind of in my brain, like where I was thinking like, okay, like why did that client choose this firm or this lawyer over this other one? And so I was always kind of thinking about that, I think a little bit, but then obviously once once you're actually doing it, then it all becomes, you know, skin in the game. Like you've actually got to figure out answers to these questions. Um, so, you know, I was always kind of interested in, in law school and I kind of asked around, but I didn't really, you know, get to answers that would work for me until I actually had to do it for myself and try to pay my mortgage with, with the answers to those questions. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, one of the things that I'm curious about, you know, from my background of accounting and finance, one of the things that I see from, you know, like CPAs like myself or those that are accountants but may not be licensed like myself is, you know, when they they know the technical side when they're working a job and they're working in someone else's company. But when they sometimes I would say accountants make the worst business owners or make the worst entrepreneurs because it's like they're really good at their technical, but they're they struggle to build a business around their technical skill. Do you find that to be similar with lawyers? Yeah, I mean, something that was really eye-opening to me was one of the internships I did during one of my summers was with this law firm in Southern California, and um, they were successful. And they had this lawyer who, like, had the he had like a windowless office at the very back of the firm. He never spoke to clients. Like, there was like a memo <laughs> that said this guy's never allowed to speak to clients, and he was a very good technical lawyer who was like completely walled and he liked it that way. It wasn't like they were keeping him from talking to clients and he wanted to, like they did not, he didn't want to be talking to clients. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that kind of quickly kind of removed the intuition that like, if you just do good work, it'll speak for itself and clients will come um, at, you know, so that, that hasn't been my experience. So I think that there is, there are certain intuitions that we have. I think that doing good work is an element of, of attracting clients, but it's not enough by itself in, in my opinion. So, so yeah, I have seen kind of attorneys who feel sort of entitled to like, hey, I'm doing good work and so people should hire me. And that's just, I mean, it's not the case and it's not how how the world works. Mm -hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, because I, I found that to be very interesting. It's just that some people struggle with accepting that, hey, people aren't going to pay you just because you do good work. They're going to pay you based on the perceived value that your work is going to have to them. And I find that a lot of people tend to struggle accepting that reality. They're like, but my work is valuable. But if they don't perceive that, they're <laughs> probably not going to give you their money. <laughs> well, something that can be challenging too, is that when you start out or, you know, you've got to make, you've got to make a living for the first 20 years of your career before you are the absolute best at anything. You know, like it's actually pretty easy to sell a service and, and promote it if you think it's the absolute best version of it for everyone. You know, mm -hmm. so when I first started, I was so it was 2009, so I was two years out of law school and I wasn't the best at anything. Like I knew that. And my clients, like if I tried to tell them that, they wouldn't believe me. I looked like I was 16 years old and, <laughs> you know, no one was going to buy that. And so, so initially, like our entire value proposition is we're not the best lawyers, but we are the cheapest lawyers. Like that, that is kind of how we, and we did that for years. And that was, I think, a valuable service. We were helping people who wouldn't have been able to, to afford a lawyer otherwise. Um, and we were gaining experience and learning how to do things better. And 
so so I'm glad that we had that phase of just like not just being kind of upfront, like, yeah, we're we're worse than that guy, but you can't afford that guy and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do our best and we care about you, but you know, we're we're the cheapest lawyers in the valley. And and that that was of, of value to some of our clients. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. So when it comes into criminal criminal defense and criminal law, I mean what are the types of cases that you know that uh, that you usually help your clients with? What are the types of cases that they, hey, if this is this type of case, hey, you guys would be a good fit for them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, something that I try to talk to my client, you know, I do multiple potential client consultations basically every day of the week, and one of the first questions that I want to get to is how important is this case to you? And if the client says it's really not a big deal. That's totally fine. I get that. I'm glad that they've shared that with me. And I'm probably not the right fit for them because we're no longer the cheapest lawyers. We are, you know, I, I'm by myself now. My partner retired, but I, you know, I'm I'm very expensive. And so if you, um, if if this case is going to keep you from, you know, staying at your job, or you're going to lose, you know, a contractor's license or a commercial driver's license or something like that, where you have a lot riding on this case then you should hire me. It's going to be very expensive and I'm going to get you a really good result. But if the, if, if the client says, ah, this doesn't matter that too much to me, that's a really quick sign that it's probably not going to be a good fit. And, I, and I'm not offended by that. They're the only ones who know how important the case is. So I've had clients who had serious, serious felonies who didn't think it was very important and they'd been to prison before and they didn't care. And I was like, cool, like don't hire me. And then I've had clients who had minor misdemeanors where it was life and death. And so, so that to me is kind of the biggest indicator of whether they should work with me is, is this something that they care a lot about? And I, my commitment to them is if you care about it, then I'm going to care about it. And I'm going to make sure we get a good result. Gotcha. I love it. I love it. Now, I'm curious, how did you get comfortable with, with that? Because like at some point when people start a business, they're like, hey, I just got to make sure that I can cover my expenses, pay my bills. But at some point in that journey, there's a level of maturity that you've reached to be able to say, you know what? I'm not the best fit for everybody and I'm okay with turning some business away. Like, how did you get comfortable with that? Uh, millions of repetitions. <laughs> um, like it took me a surprisingly long time to realize that like one of my principal jobs for my little tiny company is sales. Um, and so I didn't use that language with myself until if for, for years. And then once I did, I kind of had to say, okay, well, if I'm selling my services, who, who should I sell to? you know, who's, who's going to be the best fit. And so, um, so doing that over and over again, I, I remember that when we initially did it, so it was me and my business partner, we had no employees and we didn't have anything to do. So if we had a potential client come, we'd both meet with them. And then we'd be like correcting each other during the consultation, <laughs> which was a super bad look, you know, and correcting each other on the price and stuff like that. And so like we learned by, pro- by like, just like by, uh, trial and error. We just learned like you can't do these things. Like you have to do, and and um, I mean, one of the challenges with law is that we have a sort of ephemeral product. Like it's not something that they can hold and try out for themselves. And so uh, something else that's been helpful is looking at other industries that have that same problem. So like CPAs are somewhat somewhat that way. Although taxes are so concrete that 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 kind of helps keep things clear. But um, we've read books like by um, coaches, people who sell coaching, people who sell financial planning and financial advice, just to see how they connect with their customers and clients. And and uh, those have been good analogies for us. So sometimes law didn't have good answers and we'd have to go into other industries to look for, for answers to those kinds of questions. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. So now I want to talk a little bit about, you know, your podcast, you know, the the business of criminal law. I mean, what was the genesis that made you come up with this podcast? Yeah, I wrote a book in 2017 called The Business of Criminal Law. And um, and it was I writing is very difficult for me. Like it takes a ton of energy for me to write. Um, But um, people started kind of responding to the book. And I and I really appreciated that. And, um, and it's my favorite topic. I love talking about the business of criminal law. So it is like a hyper niche podcast. Like if you are not a criminal lawyer, I don't really know why you would listen to it. If you're not a criminal defense lawyer, I don't know why you would listen to it. So it's really, um, but you know, the, the idea is when, when I have somebody on, I say, well, if you could teach criminal defense lawyers one thing, what would you teach them? And so um, like, I think you'd be a fantastic guest because I think you could teach us like, what do our numbers mean? Like, what are the what are some key numbers for most small law firms? I think that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. If, by the way, you could, I would love to have you on if you want. <laughs> uh, um, uh, but, you know, so it's fun to have people from inside the industry, like people who work with criminal defense lawyers or who are criminal defense lawyers, as well as from people from outside it, salespeople, um, financial people. But again, it's the all, the all the idea is to make the business side of criminal law easier to practice, more insightful mm-hmm. and, and more powerful for our clients. You know, I think that's an amazing strategy because the the more that I, you know, dive into learning and understanding the marketing side and the sales side of just running a business, period, the more I find that the people that are successful are the people who tend to focus on their audience, Uh, whereas like they're no longer, you know, taking this, you know, pray and spray approach of like, (laughs) hey, this is for everybody. It's just like then nobody listens or nobody shows up. Well, it's so hard. Like if I was going to try to write like a business book that's going to compete with Seth Godin, like I just don't know how I would start that, you know? Mm-hmm. But if I say, well, how can I help criminal defense lawyers have more successful businesses? That's like a digestible problem. Like I think reasonable people could differ on whether I've been successful at helping with that, but like, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a fixable problem. It's something that I can take a little bite out of every day and get a little bit closer to. Gotcha. I love it. I love it. So now if people are interested in finding out more about the, the podcast, seeing what the awesome things you have going on, what's the best way for them to find you online or on social media? Yeah, LinkedIn is where I'm most active. Um, I really enjoy LinkedIn. And then um, uh, the other one is the you know Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It's on most uh, services. So yeah. Again, if you're not interested in uh, on LinkedIn, I talk a little bit more about like referrals and how referrals work. Um, and I think that's a little bit more industry agnostic. But if you are a criminal defense lawyer, I I really try to make the uh, podcast as useful as possible for criminal defense lawyers. And then if they want to check out the book, it's available on Amazon as well. And um, yeah, that's uh, again, it was hard to write. I hope it's helpful and, and people have responded positively to it. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Well, one final question I always love asking every guest that comes on is, you know, when you think back to your journey and how that's kind of played out for you and where you are now, and then also just kind of where you plan on going in or what your sights are for the future, what's two pieces of wisdom that you would share with other business owners? And it could be something that you've already said and you just want to reiterate, or it can be something new. Ah, so you're just, you're just saying like, be wise right now, just be for the next minute or two, be as wise as I can be. Um, I think that kind of a theme that we've touched on that I think has been really helpful is that 
you really can't expect to um, to connect with your customers or your clients unless you provide something really valuable and you can communicate that value to your customers or clients. And so um, initially I didn't have something super valuable yet. And so it took me years of practice before I could say, I could look someone in the eye and say, really, I don't know of anyone who could do this better than me. You know, So that's an important part of the process. And then the other part of the process to be able to communicate it and to have a story to tell or a, a case study to show uh, a potential client or a potential customer how you deliver that value. So, um, so I think like if somebody's business were struggling, I would ask them to think, um, is it because I don't provide enough value yet? Or is it because I don't know how to communicate it or both? And um, again, those are solvable problems. If, you do, if you're not creating enough value yet, then, then there's, you know, now you know what you need to do. Go and figure out how to create more value. And, uh, and I think that leads to, to a productive business and an honest business, which is really important to me. Absolutely. I love it. Well, Josh, thank you so much for being an amazing guest and coming on today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to the Business Talk Library. If you like our content, be sure to follow us on social media. And if you want to see more of our exclusive content, you can subscribe and become a member on patreon.com forward slash business talk library. Hey, the business talk library is the place where business makes sense.